Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then, they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people, whose own strength is their God. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You... Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Like a lot of us, 
lately, I'm sure. I've been feeling a, a certain heaviness. I've been feeling heavy for the people of Afghanistan. I've been feeling heavy for the people of Haiti. I've been feeling heavy for our world, groaning under the stress of COVID. I've been feeling heavy for our country, where it just generally it seems like so few people actually know Jesus. So few people want to know Jesus. And I've been feeling heavy for you. I've been feeling heavy for so many people at St. Matt's struggling under the weight of different problems and challenges. Like a lot of us, I've been finding myself wondering, how long? How long? What do we do when we feel overwhelmed by brokenness in the world? By brokenness in our own lives? We we pray about it, right? But what do we do when it feels like God is ignoring us? What do we do when it feels like, to us at least, God is part of the problem? During this lockdown, amongst the sense of heaviness, maybe even through the sense of heaviness, God has been helping me do some soul searching. He's been softening some hard spots in my heart. And I've realized that for months, and in some very specific parts of my life, for a few years now, I've been in something of a cold war with God. No shots fired. I haven't been raging at him. I haven't been attacking him. I've just been distancing myself. Giving God the cold shoulder cutting the communication lines. Not in a hostile way, just in a cynical way. I can pass it off as stoicism, you know, just getting on with things, or as self-reliance. But what it really amounts to is skepticism towards God. Disappointment with God. How like Jonah I can be, running from God when I can't make sense of what he's doing. In my soul searching, I I felt God keep drawing me back to this little Old Testament book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk, if you prefer, I'll probably switch between the two. I talked about it with Ron, and he could see the merit in all of us using some of our lockdown time to study this book together. And so that's how we arrived at this series. Habakkuk isn't as famous as Jonah, which is too bad because as Ron pointed out to me, Habakkuk is kind of like the the anti-Jonah. When Jonah doesn't like what God's doing, he runs away from God. He cuts communication lines. When Habakkuk doesn't like what God's doing, he comes to God. He comes seeking answers. It's been my prayer in the preparation for this series that God will use this book to loosen our tongues. 
that rather than turning away from God in our disappointment, our discouragement, our disillusionment. Instead, we would turn to him and ultimately find peace, hope, joy. So as we begin to look at Habakkuk 1, I want to pray that for us. Lord God, teach us, change us, loosen our tongues so that we can cry out to you. And we pray at the end we'd find joy. Amen. Let me set the scene for you. It's about 150 years after Jonah and the kingdom of Judah is a mess. Habakkuk lays out the problems in verses 3 and 4. Essentially, though, there's corruption at, at, from the highest levels. The strong abuse the weak economically, politically, religiously, physically. The legal system is falling apart. It's a mess. Now, Habakkuk, he loves God's way. He loves God's commitment to justice and mercy. He loves God's law, which God has given to his people. And Habakkuk is appalled by how much God's law seems to be ignored around him. And just like so many across the centuries and millennia, Habakkuk cries out, How long? Only that's not quite what he says. What he actually says is, How long, Lord? He's not just crying out generally. He's not complaining to his wife or a friend. He's not venting. He's not tutting the state of the world to a neighbor. He's not posting a virtue signaling rant on social media. He cries out to God. How long, God? How long, Yahweh? How long, Lord? Where are you? What's going on? What are you doing? In his pain and confusion and grief, Habakkuk addresses God personally. Actually, even more than addressing God personally, he asks God a direct question. Now, I find that much harder to do. I find it easier to tell God how I'm feeling or to ask God to act, to do certain things to help me in certain ways, but not to ask a question that requires a response. When you're asking God direct questions, you're not hedging. You're not protecting yourself from further disappointment. You're expecting, hoping, relating. Let me paraphrase Habakkuk's prayer beginning at verse 2. How long, Lord, am I supposed to keep crying out to you for help when you just keep on ignoring me? I ask you to protect, but you don't. Why can I see all these abuses of power around me? Why do you tolerate corruption? God, what are you doing? It's a pretty confronting way to speak to God, right? I mean, he's, he's holding God to a standard. He's keeping God accountable to God's own values. Is that okay? I mean, shouldn't we just say, God, God, your will be done, and then just get on with trying to fix things ourselves? Can we be this direct, this confrontational with God? 
Apparently we can. Because God doesn't correct Habakkuk. He doesn't rebuke him for his impertinence or ignore him because of his arrogance. No, God responds to Habakkuk. Finally, at least, God responds to Habakkuk. God affirms to him that he too sees this injustice. He too sees this evil. And he assures Habakkuk that he is going to act. He's going to do something about it. This is what he says beginning at verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you had been told. It starts out so positive, so hopeful. But the amazing thing God is promising Habakkuk he will do is bring through the Babylonian Empire and destroy Judah. Can you appreciate how crushing this must be for Habakkuk? I mean, God has finally answered, but to Habakkuk, God's solution is worse than the problem. Before Habakkuk had to deal with a God who didn't seem to act, now he has to deal with a God that would act like this. So surely now is the time for him to pull a Jonah, right? Surely now is the time for him to run. Or surely now is the time to at least, you know, pull back emotionally, to cut the communication lines, to give himself some space to process what God said. But instead he collects himself and he addresses God again. From verse 12, Yahweh, you've been around forever. And you'll be around forever. You're, you're the one in charge. And you're bringing the Babylonians to bring judgment, to bring justice. You're my rock, my, my hope, my safety. Where else could I go? I know you hate evil. I know you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So God, why would you tolerate this? Why would you let an even worse group of people come and destroy our people? God, I still don't get it. What are you doing? Habakkuk reminds himself who God is. He, he fights to trust God, even now, but he doesn't just accept what God has said. He asks, direct questions. Again, he holds God to God's own standard. Then Habakkuk goes on. He says that it seems to him like the peoples of the earth are just like fish in the sea without a king to guide them or protect them. And from his vantage point, it feels like the Babylonians are just this merciless fishermen ready to come and catch people up and devour them again and again and again. Then he, he finishes his prayer 
with another direct question. Is he to keep on emptying his net, God, destroying nations without mercy? And then Habakkuk resolves to wait and to watch as long as it takes until God answers. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And that's where our passage ends. With Habakkuk waiting. And I'm I'm conflicted at this point. I told my son Trace the story of Habakkuk. And he said immediately, oh, it would be different if Habakkuk knew how the story ends. If he knew the part after that. And I, I completely agree. And I want to jump forward a few centuries and show that while God's first response to Habakkuk's questions is to send Babylon, this devouring fisherman, his ultimate response was to send a different kind of fisherman. One who was more righteous than those he fished for. One who didn't catch people in order to devour them, but to give them new life. He caught people in order to set them free. I want to point to that fisherman. I need to point to that fisherman. Because if we don't know that fisherman, if we don't know Jesus Christ, then we will never be able to make sense of suffering and pain in the world. We'll never be able to understand what God's doing, how he's acting, what his plan is, unless we know that fisherman. Jesus is the light at the end of the tunnel. It really does make a difference to see the light when you're in a dark place. but we still have to walk through the cave to get there. And we don't always know how long that walk will be. So I don't want to skip over Habakkuk in the waiting. And waiting. And waiting. Because waiting is where we so often find ourselves. How long, Lord? Our passage ends completely unresolved. And spoiler alert, a lot of the themes in this book are going to be unresolved by the time we get to the final chapter. So why is this passage in the Bible? Why does God tell Habakkuk in chapter 2 to to write all this down so that people like us can read it on the other side of the world thousands of years later? I think we have this passage because God wants us to understand that righteous people in the Bible don't just mindlessly accept everything that happens. When we see and experience hurt in the world, We aren't called towards indifferent approval or brainless affirmation or even stoic perseverance. 
No, we are invited to cry out to God, to rage against evil and injustice, to try and make sense of God's actions and his apparent inactions in the context of a relationship with him. It's not our place to question, but he lets us question anyway. He invites us to question anyway. He wants us to question anyway. But not to ask questions about him, not to cynically discuss him as an abstract idea or as a person who can't overhear. No, he calls us to question him directly. Personally. Relationally. So instead of biting your tongue, instead of cutting the communication lines, instead of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and just getting on with it, it's time to start asking, how long, Lord? I want to finish this evening with a project. Instead of just reading Habakkuk's example, I want us to actually follow Habakkuk's example. When I finish the sermon, a song is going to come on. A great song of lament, a great song to reflect with. But while that song's going, I want you to get pen and paper. Identify something that's been weighing on your heart. And ask God your own how long question. Ask him directly, personally, relationally. Just like Habakkuk, remember who God is. Remember what he values, his commitment to justice and mercy, his power, his love. Remember the better fishermen he sent to us. And ask him a direct question. Ask it today. Ask it again and again in the coming days. And as you ask, Wait for his response. Don't just ask and forget. But like Habakkuk, climb the city walls. Station yourself at the watchtower. Look out for God's response. I don't know how or when God will answer you. But I do know that if we are to find any comfort in this world, any lasting peace, any transforming hope, any transcendent joy, it will come in his presence. It will come by ending the Cold War, by opening up communication, even if that communication is shattered sometimes. So loosen your tongue. Cry out. How long, Lord? And then wait and watch for his response. Lord God, we thank you so much that you can handle our honesty. That you call for our honesty. And I pray that you'd help us to cry out what's on our hearts. And I pray that we would have the patience to watch and wait for your response. We pray this in the name of the better fisherman, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Bend Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus, to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon. Thank you.